is The Legal Impact, the weekly show presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD and graduate programs, learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or hosts and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire and UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. I'm your host, AJ Kirsten, and today I'm joined by Michael Bossy. He's a shareholder at Bernstein Sure, which is located, he's located at their Portland, Maine office. In 2015, attorney Bossy started their drone law team. He's with me today to discuss the current landscape for unmanned aerial vehicles, also known as UAVs or drones, <laughs> for the more... Uh, if you decide to Google such things, drones are what you tend to find on Best Buy and such. Uh, but there are obviously much more commercial aspects to it, whether it's videography, manufacturing, and such. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, AJ. Thanks for having me. So although you're not an alum, Bernstein sure does uh, do a lot with career services department here at the law school and for employment opportunities. We've got summer associates over there and such, which is awesome, as well as you have some alumni in the roster. So uh, I'm glad to have Bernstein work with us a little bit to uh, get some knowledge out there. To start off with looking at the big picture, is drone law in 2022 a very dynamic situation still as it was like five years ago? Or do you feel like it's solidified a lot here in the United States? So, um, you know, a little bit of both, AJ. I think um, the when we started the drone law boot camp in 2015, there was nothing. And the federal government was um, really behind the eight ball in terms of even establishing a framework um, under which uh, drones and drone operators, particularly for recreational use, would be able to operate with some degree of confidence about what they were doing. Um, you know, they played catch up for a couple of years, and then we started to see uh, cases come out of various state and federal courts, um, starting to establish kind of the common law of drones. Uh, you know, I feel like um, like so many things, uh, things have been kind of put on hold or slowed because we've been dealing with COVID-19 for the past two years. But, you know, the reality is there are, depending on which state you're in, there's there are now kind of a smattering of different cases that you can find either reported or in process that in one way or another um, focus on, on the operation of drones. So it, it's, I, you know, I wouldn't say we have an established jurisprudence, but definitely there are cases out there that you can find um, when that wasn't the case back in 2015. Is it basically in the United States going to vary a lot from state to state? I mean, how much is it federally determined with law and how much is it state law and how much is it in turn also is just judges looking at cases from lawsuits and such? Yeah, good question. Uh, so, so on, uh, you know, on the, you've got the kind of overarching, uh, federal regulatory landscape and the and the, the FAA's desire um, to preempt the field with respect to air rights um, because that's what the FAA deals with. But that that does not mean, and the general law of preemption doesn't mean that states and municipalities um, can't also. Uh, pass their own regulations or ordinances, and they generally can do so under the law of preemption so long as um, it, it, it is not um, uh, contrary to uh, the federal landscape. So, 
um, so I've got this kind of federal overarching scheme, but then absolutely uh, different state legislatures have been have been grappling with it. Uh, state trial courts um, have confronted drone cases, sometimes in civil cases, sometimes in criminal cases. And um, so so definitely you're definitely seeing both. As someone who's a photographer and works in communications, it seems to me like the big line in the United States is the line between commercial and individual use for non-commercial purposes. Is that accurate? That's accurate. Yeah, that is accurate. And I expect that's going to continue to be the case. Um, uh, yes, I mean, I think that's, you know, they originally they said it was, they, they called it hobbies right uh you know now they've referred to it as recreational users um but i do i think that that line is going to continue to stay in place so what where is that line for like for someone i see the big thing that really got them popular especially in the uh the 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 gen z and millennial crew or the youtubers out there you got your casey neistat for example out there uh, throwing his uh, drone all over new york city and such and eventually over time he's like oh i gotta stop doing that because he realized oh this is probably quite illegal to be doing i mean where where is that line for people that are just doing stuff like this versus hired gigs and just flying for fun yeah so i i, I you know i wish i could give you the exact line with precision but i i will certainly tell you um what what i tell folks right i mean because you know you're you're right um We've gotten this question a lot, not, mm. not so much recently, but certainly at the beginning where they said, well, you know, somebody would say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm uh, doing weddings or whatever. Right. And I'm doing this and I da, 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 da. and my general advice then and now was, are you doing it for, a, you know, are you doing it for a profit? Is it something more than a mere hobby? And if it is, then you need to assume if you end up on the federal government's radar for whatever reason, you know, usually because you crashed the drone somewhere exactly. or you hit somebody or whatever, right? But um, and then assume that the federal government is going to determine that you are using it commercially because you're doing it for profit. No, you know, no matter how um, uh, uh, entrepreneurial and you know. Uh, not brick and mortar business you think you might be if you're still doing it for profit then you're doing it for profit and assume that the federal government is going to see it that way right i mean i uh you know the the you know the analogy would be right there are a lot of things that that, that you do in life that well you don't think i'm really generating you know income quote unquote for tax purposes but then when you you know if you're a tax lawyer which i'm not right but but tax lawyers say well you know what the federal government considers to be income is pretty darn broad, right? And so, um, even though you might not think of it as traditional income, I'm working somewhere, I get a paycheck. More likely than not, the federal government is going to consider it to be income because they want to tax, right? And so that that has been my general advice as we've been going through this: is are are you getting paid for what you're doing as opposed to you are literally just doing it for hobby purposes then 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 um assume that's the way the federal government's going to look at it and better safe than sorry right if you are crossing over that line into the commercial space i mean what's what's the minimum that you you need to be done you need to be doing in order to be 
um, on the up and up when it comes to the FAA. There's a certification you have to do, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And, and um, I, I feel like, um, you know, early on, uh, it was a mystery uh, yes. to folks, right? I was like, what the heck do we do? How are we going to do this? And, and in part, that was because the federal government was playing uh, catch up in an area where the technology was way ahead of the federal government. I don't feel like that's the I just don't feel like that's the case anymore, right? I mean, I think people that that um, that go about the the registration, it's established now, right? I mean, get the drone registered, get your registration, carry your papers on you, right? I mean, I think that those people who are serious about doing it um, have discovered that it's not that difficult to do now that the now that the rubric is set up. Are there a bunch of people out there that are operating illegally? Probably. Right. Um, uh, but, you know, look, there are people there are millions of people that speed every day and don't get pulled over for speeding. Right. So is there any chance that the uh, the certification for for opping, uh, operating under commercial purposes will shift over time? Because I remember looking into it a few years back and there was a lot of stuff with regards to um, like map reading and such when it which were really not um, applicable to most users that are just throwing a drone up for a hundred feet in the air to get a couple aerial shots. Yeah, I don't, you know, I, uh, the, the, the last, the, uh, the last uh, regulatory stuff that, that, that I found is back in 2019. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, maybe once we get clear of the pandemic, are we going to, you know, see um, some uh, more streamlined stuff come into play? I guess I would hope so, but it's, you know, it's not out yet. Yeah, I, I'd hope so. I really do feel like everything's been kind of pushed back a couple of years. You know, just generally, I mean, I, I mean, now, nowadays it, it feels like it's a cryptocurrency, right? Everybody... <laughs> People are out there using, buying, selling, trading cryptocurrency, and numerous federal agencies are running around trying to figure out what they're going to do about that. And that that's kind of what's got everybody's attention right now. Um, you don't see the uh, day-to-day uh, spotlight on drones that you saw um, four or five or six years ago, right? But um, but will you know will the FAA come back and do some streamlined regulations? I'm sure we'll see at some point. It's just not in the hopper yet. NFTs and crypto took the uh, bandwidth of the of the government. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> now, when you're looking at uh, the the the, uh, the drone hardware, when it comes to what's going up in the air, what what's the regulatory landscape look like in that? I mean, I remember if it's less than 249 grams or something like that is a, yeah, is a limit. So that's still the. Yep, that's still the limit. Yep, that's still the limit. Yeah. And. and Say someone's like a, like a DJI is crazy. For example, they they're one of the main reasons why the why the whole industry shift is because they basically said, okay, for two thousand dollars you can throw a cinema camera up in the air, which weighs ten pounds or something crazy like that. But on the other hand, they also release these three hundred dollar little uh, consumer oriented sure. ones. I mean, um, is there a difference when it comes to aside from that weight difference? Is there a difference when it comes to how the laws work? Not that I'm aware of, right? I, I, um, I mean, the divisions to me, the, uh, I mean, the cases that I've seen have fallen into a couple of different buckets. You know, none of which I think are um, uh, are would be sur- surprising. Um, there's obviously a big, there's a criminal landscape where, where, in one fashion or another, somebody's using 
or, or somebody shoots down or destroys somebody else's drone and gets criminally prosecuted for that in the civil sphere, um, you are uh, seeing, um, I saw my, I just, I, you know, just in preparing for this, I wanted to see whether there were any cases in New Hampshire and there, I don't know what happened to it or if it's still pending, but there was a personal injury case in New Hampshire where somebody was using a drone at a wedding and it hit somebody who was, who required stitches and the lawsuit was started was essentially a personal injury lawsuit, but it involved the operation of a drone as opposed to somebody falling or a car accident or something like that. And, and then, um, and then you, you see this smattering of regulatory cases where there have been different challenges, um, both to the federal framework um, and to uh, different ordinances uh, that are being passed um, locally and regionally, and as to whether the, the the FAA scheme preempts that or whether the ordinance is violative for some other um, uh, some other reason, uh, like the First Amendment, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the, but but again, I, you know, I wish there was. Um, I don't feel like there's uh, it yet an established uh, body of common law or anything close to it. Um, where, you know, as, as opposed to, tort, you know, uh, slip and fall cases or false imprisonment cases or defamation cases. I mean, we just don't have a, we don't have a reliable body of law yet um, that people can look to that will give them some confidence about how these cases are going to come out. So liability and risk management is an important aspect of the law and why a lot of uh, companies hire lawyers and such. And it's probably a lot of what you do over in your practice. I mean, what are some things that uh, private uh, individuals and uh, commercial uh, enterprises should keep in mind from that perspective when it comes to aerial aircraft like this? Yeah, so, well, I mean, so obviously follow all the the uh, federal regulations, right? You know, be be attentive to the uh what, what i'd say what i was just saying kind of the the normal uh, uh established body of tort law that we have you know so for instance you know it, it's generally state law based but but invasion of privacy i mean mm-hmm. it, depending on what state you're in it has varying issues of development under under the law but um, you know, are are you doing something with your drone that could be construed as violating what somebody would be would consider to be within their sphere of individual um, privacy rights? Um, you know, construed construed broadly, right? Are you misappropriating uh, someone's likeness or um, uh, um, for for uh, personal gain? Um, are you going into somebody else's uh, property where they're going to claim that you're violating their property rights, right? Um, so how does how do how does your operation of drones um, fit into the existing tort law framework for these different areas? Because that's where that's where an enterprising lawyer could take an established body of case law, for instance, um, on um, individual property rights and and relatively easy extended to drones and argue to a court hey look this is just like 
just like this person walked onto my property, except they did it with the operation of their drone when they they knew that um, uh, this was my land and they didn't have permission to uh, operate on it. And, and look at what they did with um, the video that they took. When you're looking at the the international landscape for it, do you feel like there's a country that really has it sorted out and is like this? This is what we should look at, or it's basically everyone still <laughs> up in the air. I do not this. know the answer to that question. Yeah, and I do not fancy myself an international lawyer, but yeah, it seems like it varies greatly too. Like I, re- I remember seeing on YouTube, especially that uh, Canada was a lot more locked down, especially compared to the United States when it comes to use, especially when it came to uh, needing to get yeah. trained and licensed and everything to operate. Yeah, well, you know, Canada tend, tends to have a tighter regulatory um, grip on a whole bunch of things than the United States does, right? Right. I we, I mean, I think we 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 we. I think sometimes we take our bill of rights and constitution for granted. Um, you know, Canada, there's a whole bunch of ways in which Canadians do not have the same set of um, uh, bill of rights as we do. Uh, is there anything I'm missing uh, looking at the, uh, what it looks like on this? Uh, no, I just, I think that this, um, I, you know, I got interested in this because as a, a trial lawyer, yeah, who's been who's been doing general trial work. I mean, I, I'm, I'm mostly a construction lawyer, but I've always had kind of general tri- trial work over my couple of decades of practice. I think it's fascinating um, with the, the, the technological advances that we have in society that seem to be going ever faster as we advance and the, um, the way that both the government and the court systems kind of come along behind and try to establish the framework in, you know, whether it's drones or self-driving cars, or as you were saying, NFTs and cryptocurrency, um, the entrepreneurial spirit of folks, um, uh, you know, here we are out at the forefront of all of these issues and they're happening in real time. And uh, what better areas of law for lawyers to be involved in than to have a hand in, you know, the very first cases that come out in a particular um, legal area, right? Because you're really, you're, you're writing on um, fresh canvas, you know, as it's happening. And that's why it's been, I think it's been really exciting um, as it happened, you know, despite the uncertainty that folks have from day to day about um, uh, whether they're going to get trouble for what they're doing. Michael Bossy, shareholder of Bernstein Sure. Thank you so much for joining me. Great. Thanks, AJ. Thanks for listening to The Legal Impact, presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To help spread word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Get the back episodes of the show and the podcast links at law.unh.edu slash podcast.